All right, we are in Luke chapter 2 today. You can go ahead and open up your Bible there. Uh, we're going to be in verse 21 to start. And uh, you may notice that we are skipping over uh, a little chunk of Scripture uh, that we read once a month every year, uh, no matter, probably until Jesus comes again. We are skipping over the birth narrative of Jesus, not because it's not important, by all means, it's why we're here, but uh, we just covered it at, at Christmas time, and so I want to skip to uh, past that story. Um, here's a cliff notes if you weren't paying attention during Christmas and you think Christmas is about gifts or uh, family traditions, Jesus Christ was born at Christmas. He's a miracle child given to Mary and Joseph. He's born in a manger in Bethlehem. And there's a lot of details, but the point of it is this, that God is fulfilling his word to send the Messiah. And the angels go and tell the shepherds, and everyone that knows this news, which is only a few people at this point, uh, is given great confidence in God. And that's the word I want us to think about today. And we, we read a, we're going to read a parallel account uh, John was born last week. Uh, they name him. He's doing all the things that the law requires. People are rejoicing, right? And that's going to be the same today. Jesus is born. They're going to name him. He's doing all that the law requires, and people begin rejoicing. But I want us to think about the word confidence, because this is why Luke writes this, right? He writes this so that Theophilus would have confidence about what has been taught, confidence that God is going to fulfill his word, confidence that God is trustworthy, confidence that this is really true and this is worth banking your life on. And I want us to think about that in our own lives today as we think about our own faith, we think about uh, maybe stories we've heard a lot, maybe all sorts of things going on in our lives. I want us to think about the word confidence in our faith. Um, this week, uh, we're going to see that through the eyes of two characters named Simeon and Anna. And Simeon and Anna, by all accounts, are old. And they've waited a long time to see God come through with his word. They've got a lot of years and a lot of circumstances to kind of begin to doubt that God really is going to do what he said he's going to do. Uh, but we're going to see this story through their very eyes. This week, I got a text from David Luce. Uh, I, I realized this, David, it was a year ago today y'all came because y'all showed up at the Valentine's Day banquet, never having been here before. Anyway, but David sends me a text this week, hey, do you have a metal detector? And I don't know what about me screams, he might have a metal detector, <laughs> but for whatever reason, David reached out to me, and I'm like, no, but I know a guy who does, my father-in-law. And so I reached out to him, and David came and got the metal detector. And I, I think Sweet Jana was uh, planting peas, is this right? Scattering peas in her garden, and somehow her wedding ring had flown off her hand into the abyss. And uh, they knew about where it was. Anyway, David comes, and he gets the metal detector. And 20 minutes later, I get a text. We found it, right? Just sheer joy. This happened to me in college, too. I was throwing football in a, in a park one time with some guys. And my ring, my Aggie ring, came off my finger, which to an Aggie is like the worst thing in the world. We're not even sure you belong there anymore, right? But I go to the football game, and we come back, and it's like, ah, oh, we can't find this ring. So I go to Academy and buy a metal detector, and the lady's like, did you lose your Aggie ring? I said, yeah. 
I said, can I return this in about 45 minutes? She said, yeah. So <laughs> I go to the park, 10, 15 minutes, we find the ring. And I tell you this story because as Anna and Simeon today, their instant, their gratification, seeing something that had been searched for be found took years. It didn't take 15 minutes in a return at Academy. No, they have waited and waited and waited and they finally get to see it. Right? When, I was in, when I was searching for my ring that day, there was a football game, so there was tailgating, and all these people saw it in the park. And when we found the ring, they saw what we're doing. The whole, like, Spence Park erupts in this, yeah! Of course, they're all drunk, so, you know, whatever. But it was exciting, right? Because the thing that we had been waiting for and searching for was finally found. And that's what we're going to see in our text today. So let's look. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. It says, At the end of eight days after Jesus had been born, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And when he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother, Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let me pray. God, I pray this morning as we read a text that is either very familiar or not familiar at all. God, I pray that you would give us confidence, God. Confidence in that you're in you. God, that you're going to do what you say. 
that you're going to be faithful to your word, that you're going to accomplish that which you intend to accomplish. There's nothing that can stop you, God. God, I pray that that confidence, that trust, that faith in our hearts um, would be in you, not in ourselves, not in our good works, not in our own abilities, God, but our confidence in our spiritual life is solely in Christ and Christ alone. God, in my prayer is this morning that our confidence in you would lead to boldness. It would lead to boldness for us to proclaim the good news that Jesus came to cancel the record of debts, to forgive us of our sins, and to give us life. And so I pray this morning as we study this text, as we hear it taught, I pray that you'd give me the words to say. I pray that you'd give us ears to hear. And I pray that we would be a confident and a bold people in you. God, we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, so look back to verse 21. So Jesus comes in glory. Now he comes in humble estate, born in a manger in Bethlehem. Eight days later, after the miraculous birth, they, uh, Mary and Joseph take him uh, to be circumcised, which was the custom for all boys, Jewish boys, at this point. And at eight days is when they would name a child, right? We saw last week how the community really wanted to get involved in the naming of John, you know. Um, don't do that. Uh, don't name someone else's baby. It's theirs, okay? Okay. Uh, But at this point, we don't get any of that, Uh, but we do hear that Mary and Joseph named him, what? Jesus. Why? This isn't a family name. No, the the angel had come to Mary, the angel had come to Joseph and told them both, separately, you are to name this child Jesus. Now, what did they do? They didn't debate, they didn't consider Azariah, they didn't consider some other name, right? Uh, They picked Jesus. And Jesus means the Lord is our salvation. You could call it Savior. His name means Savior. The Lord is our salvation. And so they know from this point, when, when, the, when the angel's telling them, this is what you are to call this child, they know that this child is going to be our Savior. They don't know how. They don't really see the whole picture. They don't, they're not sure how God is going to save them. But they know that this child is going to be something He's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be our Savior. And it says in verse 22 that the time came for their purification. And so this would be 40 days after childbirth. Uh, the, The woman would have to go and be made ceremonially clean. This is not about physical anything. This is, this is purely her being clean before God, her being rid of sin, her being right before God. And, and so she would have to go. Um, and Luke doesn't tell us this to like, like to imply something. He, he's, he's teaching us that Mary and Joseph and Jesus were obedient to the law. By all measures, they are righteous people. They are doing what God tells them to do. And so in their day, because of their sin, they had to offer sacrifices. They had to <laughs> to all sorts of rituals and habits to, to rid themselves of their sin. And so for Mary, this is one of the things that she had to do. S- same for Jewish boys. Their, their circumcision was a picture of them being made right before God, them cutting off a, 
the old part and being made new and right before God. Not that Jesus needed that, but this is a reminder for us that they're stuck in a system where they're having to do works. They're having to do practices in order to be made right with God. Think about that. The Savior of the world is having to submit himself to this, right? He's fulfilling the law right before our very eyes. And one of the things they had to do was to offer a sacrifice. Uh, And what does he tell us in verse 24? They had to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, if you know your Bible, you know this is not actually the sacrifice that they were supposed to offer. What were they supposed to offer? A yearling lamb, right? A perfect spotless lamb. But why did they offer two doves? Because they couldn't afford the standard sacrifice. These people are po with one O, right? They're humble. They don't have it together. The wise men have not come and given them gold, frankincense, and myrrh, or they would have been able to purchase one little lamb. They can only offer two little birds. Why does he give us this detail? Because he's reminding us over and over, as we saw through the birth of Christ, of the humiliation the humbling, the, the, the humiliation of God himself coming in human form, undergoing the eight-day practice, undergoing all of this stuff, having to give the lesser sacrifice at the temple. Jesus humbled himself. He put on flesh like us, right? Why is he doing that? Because he's showing us that we don't come to God as proud as have it all together. I know how to do this. I know how to get to you. I know how to clean up my life. I know what, to, what spiritual practices to do so that we can have a relationship. No. How are we supposed to approach God? With humility. God, I do not deserve this. And as they're at the temple complex doing what is just what every Jewish family would have done that had a new boy, while they're there, they meet two very interesting characters. Look at verse 25. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah. And so this day, to say that there was a man in Israel named Simeon is like saying there was a man named John Doe in Israel. It's just this very, very common name. But Simeon is there, and his name means God has heard. God has heard. Think about that for a second. That God has heard what? God has heard Simeon's prayers. God has heard his heart to see the Savior, to see the Messiah. And now he's getting to see it fulfilled. And it says that that day he's led by the Spirit to the temple. I don't know how often he went. I don't know if this is an everyday occurrence, every week thing. But that day he knew, I'm supposed to go to the temple. And he's led to the temple complex. What do we know about him? He's old. He's old. We get the impression that he's near death, that he's ready to go because he's saying, now I can go in peace, right? We know that he is devout. He is righteous. He is a believer, right? He believes that God is going to fulfill his word. Otherwise, he would not have gone to the temple. 
And it says that he has been waiting for. We get the sense that this has been a long wait. This is not the waiting between me losing my Aggie ring and finding it, right? This is not David Luce in his garden, right? This is a lifetime of waiting, of longing, of, of looking forward. And maybe you feel that about Christ's second coming sometimes. Anybody in the room go, man, we've been waiting thousands of years now. Is he really going to come back? Is he ever going to come back? But we know that he was waiting. He never gave up. And I think we, we are so prone to this. We're so prone to be unlike Simeon. We're so prone to think, man, God, you haven't shown up. It's been a week. God, you haven't fixed my situation. It's been a whole month, right? right God's timeline is so long, right? And sometimes it doesn't take a, a little moment to fix us. It takes a long, long time. And what God wants to produce in us in the waiting is almost as much as he does in the fulfilling, right? In the waiting period, when we're waiting on God to do what he said he's going to do, he's producing trust. He's producing confidence. He's producing uh, reliance. He's producing dependence in our lives. And it's not until we see the fulfillment that we get the confidence, really, the trust that God really is going to do this. But it says here in verse 25, that Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. I had to look this word up. Uh, we have a, never mind, I'm not going to say that. Um, I had to go look this word up. Now, in life group, we have a friend that we always ask what words mean because he's way smarter than all of us. His name's Trevin Edwards. Anyway, I was looking at him as I said that. But this week, I didn't text Trevin. I had went to a dictionary. And what does consolation mean? And consolation really just means comfort. It means to console someone is to bring them comfort, right? And so what does it mean that he is waiting for the comfort of Israel? Well, Simeon is waiting for the comfort that had been prophesied. This is from Isaiah 40 when it says, Comfort, comfort my people, O Israel. Right? God is sending comfort. Think about their life. Think about their, their history, they have been dominated by all these other rulers. They've been enslaved. They've been, they've been ruled over. They've been torn apart. They've been dismembered. They've been all sorts of things. Comfort is not how we would describe their life. They are oppressed in every sense of the word. And so what he is waiting for is the Messiah to come to save us. The one who will bring comfort. The one who will bring peace. And he knew the only thing that would bring this was the Lord's Christ. Look at verse 26. It says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah. Now, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know why Simeon gets this privilege. I don't know why Simeon gets this, this blessing of being told. Like, anybody ever think, man, God, I just want you to give me a little peek ahead. Just tell me what is going to happen. Tell me what, what the next year is going to look like. Tell me what five years looks like. Has, has God ever done that for anybody in the room? Okay, no hands. All right. I don't know why Simeon gets this privilege, but Simeon is being told before you pass away, you will see the Lord's Messiah. What a privilege. Look at verse 28. Uh, 27, sorry. 
And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. All right, so Simeon, I don't, I don't know... There's no indication this is how he knew this was Jesus, right? There would have been lots of couples doing the same thing that day with their baby boys, but somehow in the spirit he knows when he gets to the temple that day and he looks around and he says, behold, the Lamb of God, just like John does later. He knows that is the Messiah. This little eight-day-old baby wrapped and held closely to his mother, and I don't suggest you do this either, but he went over and it says he gathered him up in his arms, right? Don't do that, people. Don't take people's babies, all right? Don't just go up to a mama and just take her baby unless you want to fight, right? But Simeon, he's being led by the Spirit. So I guess if the Spirit tells you to do it, do it. But other than that, don't grab a mama's baby. And he begins, he says, blessing God. He begins praising God. He's not t really talking to Mary and Joseph. He begins his words directed towards God. And here's what he says, verse 29 through 32. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people, Israel. He says, it's according to your word that I get to depart in peace. God, you have fulfilled your word and now I get to go. I don't know that he dies this day, maybe. Uh, I, don't, I don't think so, but he, it seems like he's ready. seems like he's like, I've seen it. I'm ready. Take me on, Lord. Right? But he says, it's been according to your word. He has seen God fulfill his word right in front of his eyes. He has seen it. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Now, he doesn't, he doesn't fully get all that Jesus is going to do. He probably still thinks in some way that this is about earthly rule and military power and all that sort of stuff. But he says, I've seen your salvation in Jesus. And he says that, um, he says that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. He's, he's quoting Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah. This is from Isaiah 52.10 that, that prophesies that all the ends of the earth will see the Lord's salvation. The salvation is not just for Simeon because he's a Jew. It's not just for the Jewish people. He's, the prophecy is that all the people will see it. He says in verse 32 that, that this Jesus will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. As we talked about last week, the sunrise has dawned. They're no longer sitting in the dark. The light is coming up. I'm sorry, baby Andrew. I'm being a little loud. This is light for revelation. And he says it's to the Gentiles. Think about how radical this is. The Jewish Messiah is coming, and it's not just saving for my people. It's not just for us over here, this little clique. No, the Messiah is here for all the peoples of the earth. It's been prepared, and all will see it. He is going to be a light of revelation to all the Gentiles. Luke, as a Gentile, he's not a part of this exclusive club. And he's recognizing that the good news, this is why we're calling this series the good news for everyone. The good news of Jesus coming is for everyone. 
regardless of your past, regardless of your heritage, regardless of your good works or your bad works. The good news is for everyone. It's, it's regardless of whether you're white or black, Israeli or Palestinian or whatever. The good news of Jesus' salvation is for everyone. And Luke begins to point that out. And Simeon finally has peace. Because he's seen God be faithful to his word. Can you imagine the confidence that that gives you? Look at verse 33. It says, And his father and his mother, talking about Jesus, Joseph and Mary, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I don't know what you consider a blessing, but it says Simeon blessed them. And these are the words he said. This is, this is the first hint of not good news. This is the first hint of strife and of difficulty, right? What is, what is he saying? He says uh, that, that this son will be for the fall and rising of many in Israel. What does he mean? What does he mean that, that this son will call, cause the fall and rising of many? And God is saying this, that, that based on Jesus, some will rise and some will fall. Those who are high, this is the imagery, that those who are proud, those who are put together, those who think they've, they, they earned something that are on a pedestal, because of Jesus, they will fall. And those who are poor, and those who are humble, and those who are desperate and in need, they will rise. Because he's going to spend a lot of time talking about this reversal, this change of what the world thinks is meaningful doesn't matter in Jesus' kingdom. Well, we think power and wealth and achievement and those sorts of things are reasons we have to be uh, approach God with boldness. That's what the world thinks. But in reality, what's the truth? It's about humility. It's about uh, faith. It's about desperation. It's about being in need, really. And so he says that, that Jesus will be the cause of the fall and rising of many. Jesus is going to be the dividing line that separates the wheat from the chaff, the sheep from the goats, the righteous from the unrighteous, the saved from the saved. This is the line. Jesus is the line. And he says that, that he will be a sign that is opposed. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be pain in his story. And he tells Mary that your own soul will be pierced. Right? And what it's going to cause, in verse 35, he says, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Christ is coming as a line, yes, to divide us, to say you're, you're a sheep or you're a goat, you're saved or you're not saved. But he's also coming as light to reveal the truth of our hearts. Christ is coming to expose who we really are, who, what, what's really in our hearts. Right, if you're in darkness, you're in a very dark room and you turn on the lights, the truth is revealed immediately. Right? And he's saying that Christ is coming. 
We, we are able to fool some people some of the time, but we are not ever going to be able to fool Christ. He knows what is really true in our hearts. It's the greatest lie you could believe today that we can hide something from God. He knows the depths of our heart, and he is light, and he's coming to reveal that all things will be revealed. And think about this. He knows everything that's in our hearts, however wicked we know them to be, and he comes to save us still. He knew every sin that we would ever commit, all the ways we would reject him and, and cheat on him and all that stuff, and yet he is coming to die in our place with all knowledge, with all understanding of who we really are, with all... <sighs> that is overwhelming to think of, that he knows my heart and he loves me still. This is the Savior who comes. Look at verse 36. Anna. It says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. And she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. Listen, we don't know a lot about Anna. She's described here and nowhere else. Uh, she's described as a prophetess, meaning that she spoke the word of God to God's people. Uh, she um, had been, I think, she's been given special insight that this is the Messiah as well, just like Simeon. We know she's old. She's been waiting. She's been longing for the Lord's Messiah, right? And we know that she was devout. She was at the temple. We would say every time the doors were open, right? Anybody raised going to church every time the doors were open? I was, right? Uh, my drug problem was not that. It was being drugged to church, right? right? That was mine, right? Um, but Anna is that. She was committed and devout, and she fasted and she prayed, and she sees she comes up this day. This is not an unusual day for her. She's at the temple, of course. That's where Anna would be. And at that day, she stumbles upon Simeon, proclaiming this, that the Lord's Messiah is here. And she speaks, and she blesses, right? She, she speaks to them, and then she doesn't speak to the mother and the father. It says that she began to speak of him, talking about Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. She has seen God fulfill his word, and it's given her confidence in her heart, and it's given her boldness to proclaim. Do you see the pattern? When we see God fulfill his word, it produces faith or confidence in us. And that confidence leads us to go and to proclaim. And that's why I wanted us to think about this word today, confidence. Because I don't know that that's how we live our Christian life. I think the words that would describe our Christian life, maybe more are timid, reserved, personal. <laughs> it's just for me and God. But the examples I see in Scripture, and this is convicting for me as well, is that when we get faith, when we get belief and confidence in God, what does it produce? It produces boldness. I was reading this week in um, 
Philippians 1.14. And Paul's talking about his imprisonment, and he says, uh, talking about him being in prison, he says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Right? We go through things and it, and it produces, when we, when we go through things in our spiritual life and we see God show up, when we see God take care of us, when we see him provide or we see him speak, it gives us this confidence, right? right? We, we, we know this to be true in sports and I think my mind always goes there, right? But we, there's this question in basketball circles, who do you want taking the last shot, right? And what we're really asking is, who do you have confidence in? Who do you believe that will come through on this last shot? Right? And the only reason we know that we can have confidence in Lily to take the last shot or whoever is because we've seen them do it over and over. And maybe we've seen them fail too. But we have confidence in Christ because we've seen him fulfill his word over and over and over in here, in our own life. And it's meant to lead us to speak. Right? This is why Luke writes this. Luke's not just telling us this story to go, hey, I interviewed this guy, Simeon and Anna. Kind of interesting story. They were there that day when Jesus was getting named. No, no, no. He's writing so that we would have confidence. And that having confidence, we would be bold to share just like Anna. Let me pray. God, I thank you for the truth of your scripture today. God, I thank you for all the ways that you have fulfilled your word. God, forgive us for being forgetful. Forgive us for brushing over this so quickly, God. Forgive us for doubting. Forgive us for questioning whether you're going to come through or not, God. You've proven it over and over and over, God. Why should we doubt? Why should we worry? God, I pray this morning, God, that as we read this story, as we study the rest of your scripture, as we, we exist in Christian community, God, that you would remind us of your faithfulness, of your steadiness, of your truth, of your, your ability to come through, your power. God, and I pray that as we see and are reminded of how you have fulfilled your word, God, that we would be led to boldness, God. That doesn't mean that we're all going to be standing on a street corner proclaiming God, but it does mean that we would speak up in our office this week. God, that we would, we, would, we would speak up. God, we would use our words in our circles to say that all other ground is sinking sand. God, that we would proclaim that there's really only one way we found life, and it's in Christ. All other ways we've sought to find pleasure and fulfillment, God, have failed us. But the only one that has always come through is Christ. God, I pray that you would give us boldness. God, you would open up our mouths to proclaim the excellencies of him who has saved us, who has canceled the record of debt, who has triumphed over them, publicly shaming them so that we could be saved. God, we thank you for that good news, God. And may it fill us up with boldness this week, God. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.